Hey, y'all. I'm Erin Haynes, the host of The Amendment, a brand new weekly podcast on gender, politics, and power, brought to you by the 19th News and Wonder Media Network. You've probably heard the news that this election year, our democracy is at stake. On The Amendment, I'm breaking down what that actually means, specifically for the marginalized folks who depend on our democracy the most. This is a show that dives past the headlines and gets clear on the unfinished work of our democracy. Listen to The Amendment now, wherever you get your podcasts. Hello and welcome back to Professional AF. My name's Diana Kander, and I am your very curious host, taking you on an after-action review of a very public kerfuffle. I mean, there's no other way to put it. Do you remember the beginning of the year, before COVID, Iowa held the very first Democratic caucus that was supposed to be the benchmark for the rest of the race. And all of us were eagerly watching the evening news for results, and then they didn't come. And we waited and we waited, and many of us were like, this is too much, I'm going to bed, I'll just check it out in the morning. But after we went to bed, it became very clear that something had gone terribly wrong. And then after midnight, somebody came out and issued a statement that there were going to be no results that day, and they weren't sure when the results were coming. All eyes were on Iowa that day. And the leader at the helm, the head of the Iowa Democratic Party, Troy Price, is here for the first time doing this extended conversation about what happened and his lessons learned from the experience. Now, I'm doing this series of after-action reviews because I don't think we stop and reflect enough after projects end. People don't just learn from experience. Research tells us that going through something doesn't actually make us better or teach us anything. It's this process of reflecting and diving deep that makes us actually better for the next one. Troy might be in politics, but there are a lot of takeaways for all of us in this after-action review. If you like the episode, please take a second to review the show. Make sure you're subscribed. We've got all kinds of amazing after-action reviews coming this season, and you're not going to want to miss them. Now, here is my after-action review with Troy Price. Let's start with something easy. Mm-hmm. Uh, tell us about you <laughs> and how you found yourself in the position uh, leading the Iowa Democratic Party. Do you want the long version or the short version? <laughs> well, the whole interview is like, you know, 30, 45 minutes. So we got to <laughs> save room for the good stuff. Um, well, I uh, am a lifelong Iowan. I've been in politics for about 20 years since I graduated from high school. I ended up uh, working on the Obama campaign in the 12th cycle. I was the ED of the party in the 13th, 14th cycle. I became the political director for the Clinton campaign here in the 16th cycle. And then after that, I didn't really know what to do. I had uh, worked for a gubernatorial candidate at the time, but the position of party chair came open. And it's a job that I'd always been interested in doing, mostly because I, you know, having been the ED of the party, and wanted to make sure that we had a strong party. Uh, You know, we were in a pretty rough spot after 2016 and wanted to do my part to help rebuild the party, help make sure that our infrastructure was strong. And then I looked at the voting members who actually select the position and uh, realized that I had helped get most of those people on the committee itself. So uh, I ended up making a run for it in July of 2017 and ended up winning. So it was, uh, uh, you know, something that I I can't say 20 years ago was a job that I necessarily would have wanted, but it's a job that I was very thankful to have. Uh, It was a great opportunity, a great experience, and I do miss the job every day. And you weren't a typical uh, party chair because most of the people that are party chairs are like politicians Mm -hmm. who 
you know, run for office, seek attention. <laughs> you were somebody who liked to work behind the scenes and get stuff done. Yeah, that's exactly right. Like, you know, I mean, I didn't seek the job because I wanted my name in the paper. I didn't seek the job because I wanted to be on TV or anything like that. In fact, it was... I, most of the people who did press for me can probably attest to that I wasn't necessarily always seeking out these opportunities that exist. Certainly the last 10 days, I wasn't seeking out those opportunities. And in spite of the challenges that we had on caucus day, when I left, our party was in a stronger spot, um, both from a financial standpoint, from an infrastructure standpoint, to be able to win. And I think you're seeing that already with uh, poll numbers changing here in the state. Uh, we're in a strong position going into 2020. And that's a place that no one thought we would ever be in shortly after 2016. Well, that is awesome. And I, I would love to spend time uh, on all the good stuff that happened, but this is a different kind of show. You know, I want to spend time on, on that, that one day and the, and the 10 days, as you call it, that followed. Mm -hmm. Let's start with what was supposed to happen on the Iowa caucus day? Well, what was supposed to happen was IOMs were supposed to gather in 1,678 precincts all across the state, come together, have conversations as friends, neighbors, and talk about the future of our state and the future of our country. And that's what we wanted to have happen. I'm happy to say that that is what happened. I mean, you know, after the 2016 cycle, there was a lot of criticism about the process. There were a lot of problems that, you know, some problems that just kind of developed. There weren't enough materials in the caucuses. People weren't trained as well. The spaces were too small. So we set out to make sure that the user experience that people had on caucus day was a success. And we were successful in that effort. The other piece of that, though, was to make sure that we had could get the numbers out quickly. And we had the systems in place that we believed would be able to do that, even if the reporting system, the reporting app didn't work, that we'd still have the systems in place to be able to back that up. Unfortunately, the reporting system had a failure in it, a bug on the back end. And then we, our call center, which is, was our backup, our redundant effort, quickly got overwhelmed because the call-in number got shared across the internet. And so we had just random Democrats calling just to, you know, chew us out. And then he also had a bunch of Republicans calling just to tell us how great Donald Trump was. And then in much more colorful language than that. And so I don't remember the statistic off the top of my head. We had a call center built to be able to take 2000, 2000 entry points, uh, which was more than enough to handle the 1,678 precincts that we had across the state. We had that built in. We ended up taking 8,000 calls that night. And so it quickly just got swamped and overwhelmed. And so, you know, that's what, uh, that's kind of, kind of just cascaded from there. But the goal was to have those results out, you know, that evening, uh, so that folks could move on to New Hampshire and move on, uh, and the race could move on from there. Well, let's turn to the, you know, the lessons and the diagnosis of what happened um, what's your, now that you've had a couple of months to think about it, what is your current diagnosis of what happened um, with the software? And if you have anything else to add with the redundant system that you would do differently? I think part of the challenge that we had was expectation setting. And I will take ownership for that is, you know, I was telling press that we should be able to get results, you know, roughly finalized by you know, 11, 12 o'clock caucus night. Instead, it ended up being 11 or 12 o'clock caucus night plus three. 
And so I think there was an expectation setting that um, that I could have done differently, that we could have done differently. I also think, though, that, I mean, we did a lot of trainings, right? We did a lot of tabletop exercises. We did a lot of things to try and prepare for caucus night. But I don't think we fully appreciated just how intense it would be if something failed. Because, listen, we knew that there was always a possibility of failure. We were more concerned about hacking with the idea of technology being added into the process. We were much more concerned about uh, hacking and bad actors trying to get involved in this uh, process. But I don't think we, at any point, fully appreciated just how quickly things could turn, how quickly people would turn, how quickly campaigns could turn, how quickly partners in this process could turn. And we kind of entered into this, you know, fog of war that made it really tough. I mean, I'll tell you, I lost 12 pounds in five days because like I just stopped eating. Like there were people who were there who hadn't slept in 72 hours. You know, it just like, it just became such a, we were just also under the gun to get it processed. And it just became a very, you know, uh, if I could go back and do something, it would be to, I don't know how we would necessarily train on this, but to make sure that everyone was fully in that mindset. Walk me through when you first knew that something wasn't going well, when your expectations weren't going to be met. About 30 minutes after the first numbers were supposed to be posted. And they came in and said, there is a problem with the reporting system. It's a problem with the back end of the reporting system. And I mean, I was hopeful. I mean, they were hopeful. We were all hopeful that it would be fixed in, you know, they kept saying, give us another 15 minutes, give us another half hour, et cetera. And that was kind of the game we played for the first, well, two or three hours, (laughs) because we just kept hoping that there was just some, you know, something was plugged up on the back end and that we'd be able to break it and we'd be able to get 60% of the results out right away. But it just became clear at some point that that was not going to be possible, that we were not going to be able to to do that. But yeah, it was about eight o'clock was that first moment. And, you know, we had folks from the DNC in the room. We had my team in the room. We kicked out everyone who shouldn't have been in the room. And, you know, it was just that, like, you could just sense this growing foreboding uh, amongst everyone that this was what it was. Again, we kept being hopeful that we'd just be able to unclog it. But as the night wore on, it became increasingly clear that we were not going to be able to. And then as the problems in the telephone reporting system started to become evident that we were getting swamped, that we were getting overwhelmed by people who had no business calling us, it became clear that we weren't going to be able to get these results out. And because, again, we still didn't have the full diagnosis of exactly what had gone wrong, eventually we had to make the call that we had that we weren't going to release results on Monday night. Uh, I think we made that call about 1245, 1 o'clock in the morning, just simply because like, we didn't want to put something out that we'd have to backtrack. I imagine the scene in the war room, uh, in that room, where like everybody's phone is ringing all the time, <laughs> nonstop. Yep. Did that happen? Uh, mine was. Uh, I eventually <laughs> had to take off my Apple Watch because it just wouldn't stop between text messages, between phone calls. One thing I could have done better was answer more of those phone calls, but honestly, like we were just trying to figure it out. I didn't, we didn't have answers. And that was ultimately, you know, one of the things that we've been criticized for is that we weren't on, uh, we didn't go out that night. We didn't do a press conference that night. The challenge is we didn't have anything to say. And 
uh, I go back and forth whether that was the right call, whether it wasn't the right call, should I have gone out, should I have not gone out. But we didn't have anything to say beyond what we had put out in some press statements. You know, people were going to want to dive deep into the nitty gritty of what had happened. We didn't, I, we didn't have the answers to that yet. We were still trying to figure out whether this is something that could just be, you know, connect. I mean, at first the kind of description that was given was that this was basically like a wires loose, like a wire was plugged into port A when it should have been plugged into port B. It was, I mean, I know that's not how technology works, but that was basically the description that was given to me. And that if we can just get this stuff, the wires uncrossed, we're going to be fine. And so, you know, we just kept hoping that we'd be able to do that. Something would get unscrewed up. Uh, sorry, I'm trying not to use the more colorful way to describe <laughs> that. Um, something would get uh, fixed and then it would just flow. And that would put to bed all the questions and everyone would go along their merry way and catch their flights to New Hampshire and everyone would be happy. But it wasn't until after midnight that we realized like we are not going to be able to do this tonight. I was using a jewel at the time. And I think I probably went through like two or three jewel pods just that evening because I was, it was an incredibly stressful, incredibly stressful situation. So pounds down, you lost 15 pounds yep. <laughs> and went through a lot of jewel pots. That's right. Um, that's right. It's not the, it's not the <laughs> diet I would recommend that anyone uh, actually uh, go on. Let's talk about lessons that you took away from the experience. And I have like a bunch of different categories. Maybe you can add some categories <laughs> for me. So, um, you know, I, I like to categorize my lessons learned because they're different for different parts of the process. So let's start with working with software vendors <laughs> and software tools mm -hmm. um, as a leader. Well, if I could go back and do it over again, we just would have gone back to the old system, which was phone banks. And, you know, back in the good old days of the 1970s, the 1980s, the 1990s, and the early 2000s, it was all a phone-based system, and people would just call in their results. Now, obviously, we had that problem this year based off that call volume that we ended up seeing, but I would have just gotten uh, 500 people to sit and answer the phones, you know, and been able to deal with that. Okay. Next category, uh, operating inside of a crisis. <laughs> I imagine, like, one of the things, I don't know, is like having a, a burner phone, like a secret phone number that nobody had other than the people that needed to get a hold of you, right? Yeah, and I had, one of the things that I had done was bring a friend of mine on for the last month of the campaign, or last month of the caucuses, for the specific reason that, one, to help with some media aspects of it, that was what he does professionally, but also to help be there in the crisis. And I'm glad he was there. We needed someone with a fresh set of eyes. We needed someone... Like I knew that, I mean, in the back of my mind, obviously, like I didn't want this to go south by any stretch of the imagination, mm -hmm. but I knew that there was certainly a possibility. I didn't think it would be ever as bad as what it ended up being, but I knew that there could be problems on caucus night. Nothing ever runs as smoothly as you want it to. And so I did bring on someone to kind of be that person. So from like what you're talking about from like, he was my burner phone, right? Like he, he helped triage calls and he helped make sure that I was, you know, doing the things that I needed to do. Cause I mean, that was the one thing that was really hard is like, when I talked about the fog of war, it wasn't, it was everyone. Right. But it was like, my head got very cloudy very quickly. And sure. I would say having someone there who could help keep 
me on task, keep the process moving forward, who could in that moment step forward and just make sure that everyone staying focused on what they needed to do was helpful. Okay. Next category, uh, communication during a situation. You know, like I think I touched on this a little bit earlier. Yeah, we got dinged up pretty bad by the press because we weren't telling them everything they wanted to know. I go back and forth on this. I've talked to the people who were in the room that night. We go back and forth on this. Should I have gone out? Should we? Should someone have gone out? How should we have handled this? Obviously, sharing as much information as possible is helpful. I think probably going out and saying what I said in a statement at 1 a.m. probably would have been helpful too. But at the same time, we didn't have all the facts yet. And people wanted us to have, you know, by 10 o'clock that night, people wanted us to have diagnosed the problem, have a full set of expectations on exactly when results would be released, be able to identify the problem, all the next steps that we were going to do to punish the vendor. You know, they wanted they wanted the whole story wrapped up in a nice, neat bow, primarily because a lot of the media folks wanted to get catch their flights at 6 a.m. to New Hampshire. And... The reality is we just didn't have the information. We didn't have the answers. And so, you know, I I can't say we did everything right, but I guess for folks who ever find themselves in this situation, the just got to make sure that you're trying to communicate as much information as you possibly can when you have it. It's almost like it would have been helpful to go through whatever training like the police or the fire department go through for (laughs) their crisis community because, you know, they don't have all the answers. Yeah. Uh, but they're required to stand in front of a lot of people and say, I don't know a lot of (laughs) that's an ongoing investigation. (laughs) Yeah. You know, and you know, that press conference I did the next day was, it was a tough press conference again, because everyone wanted us to have all the answers. Everyone wanted us to know exactly what went wrong. Why didn't you do this? Why didn't you do that? All that sort of stuff. When the reality was we were so focused on, we didn't have time to diagnose the problem in that it, diagnose the uh, the causes that led to the problem. We just had to fix the problem. We had to solve the problem. The press didn't seem very understanding of that, but I uh, <laughs> they didn't seem to understand why uh, we couldn't uh, tell them everything all in a nice, neat package. But you know, but I think you're right. Like I think I mean we did, by the way, do this really robust tabletop exercise where we went through a scenario where the reporting system failed, not in the same way as this, but like it was hacked or something like that. It was a, it was a system. It was, we tested on a system that could be easily fixed, basically a problem that could be easily fixed. And, you know, the lesson coming out of that was get out in front of the press, tell them what's going on, et cetera. But I think the uniqueness of what actually happened, I mean, I don't think it was on a lot of people's radar screens that the actual technology would fail because we had tested it so much. We had gone through these rigorous tests. We had done this sort of stuff. But in the end, something snapped. I've got theories on it, but I'll hold those for the time being. But And that to create a failure of a system that couldn't be easily un, unfucked, basically. We couldn't, you know, like we had built in those redundancies with the backup phone system, et cetera, that we should have been a, you know, we had always planned for the fact that we'd be able to fix this pretty quickly. And we found ourselves in a situation that we couldn't. And that was the one thing that I think we, none of us quite prepared for. And I think that's why we were hesitant to go out there that night because we didn't know if we could fix it, you know, 
in 30 minutes, we'll have the results out versus in a week, we'll have the results. You know, we just didn't know the, we didn't know the scope of the problem yet. And so we were reluctant to go out into the press. And that is the, again, the train, you know, to your point about training, you're absolutely right. Like, I think that if we could have prepared more to find ourselves in a truly terrible situation, and I mean, we felt like we had, but I mean, if we could find a uh, train even more to be prepared for that moment, again, what it feels like when that fog of war descends upon you, if we could have done that, I think we would have been in a better spot going into the night. Not saying we would have done anything different, but we would have at least been more prepared to be able to have pieces in place to respond. I bet you'd be really good at running a consulting company, setting up tabletop exercises <laughs> for other organizations. I bet you could think about a lot of things going wrong <laughs> and how to stage it. Um, okay, next category is what you learned about redundancies. It sounds like you had a really good plan B, but did you learn any lessons about a C and a D? Yeah, and, we needed you more. Know? We needed more. Um, ultimately, that was the problem. We needed more redundancies built in. We had a backup phone bank ready to turn on, but we didn't turn it on right away because we we were getting some initial numbers coming out. It seemed like they were coming in pretty good. And we had some, there was some confusion on whether or not people were waiting on the phone for four hours or to report results or whether they were waiting for 20 minutes, which is what we heard 20 minutes, but then we were getting outside reports of four hours. So we were trying to unpack all of that at the same time. And we should have just turned it on. We just needed more redundancy built into the system. Well, in the aftermath of a failure, a lot of organizations are quick to just make like a 180 degree turn and start working on something completely different, like from scratch and ignoring the fact that there could be some really valuable assets still left over from that situation. Maybe something that you and your team had created things that worked well. So, um, you know, I want to end on a high note. What do you think were the assets, um, relationships that were created, roles that you created uh, that you would want to save from that? situation? Well, the whole point of the caucuses, there's a reason why we fight for this, right? It's not just because we want to have our moment in the sun every four to eight years. That's not why, I know that's what people outside of Iowa think, but that's not why we do this, at least not from my perspective. The reason why we as a party want the caucuses is because it helps build our organization. And we have seen what happens in caucus years where the user experience isn't very good. It leads to acrimony. It leads to just this kind of constant gnashing of teeth. Everyone, no one can move on from it, et cetera. I think what I wanted to do when we set out to have the caucuses this year was to make sure that our folks had a great experience. And in at least 99.9% of the cases that I've heard about, everyone did. Everyone did. The rooms were big enough. We had enough paperwork. We had new processes in place to help get folks with disabilities, people with disabilities into the process, people with language barriers into the process. I mean, in so many ways, what we did with the caucuses has helped grow our party. It, it, it absolutely has. Iowa or the Iowa Democrats now have an advantage in voter registration for the first time since 
2013, I think. So we were able to grow and bring new people into the process. I know a lot of people who, even through this cycle, were able to work together, you know, taking those lessons from 2016, were able to work together with people who are in totally different camps. They may have been a Bernie Sanders supporter and a Pete Buttigieg supporter. They may have been a Elizabeth Warren supporter and an Amy Klobuchar supporter, but they all worked together because they wanted to make sure that their caucus goers had a good experience. And so it's that dialogue, it's that conversation, it's that sense of community, quite frankly, that comes out of caucuses that makes parties stronger. And that's why I still believe in the caucus process. Cool. Well, Troy, thank you so much for your time. Hopefully it wasn't too... <laughs> no, it was fun. It was fun. This is, like I said, this is the first interview I've done since uh, February 15th. So it was fun. <laughs> thank you so much um, for your trust and uh, for your time. Yeah, absolutely. Well, thank you. And you have a good day. Tell Jason hello. I will. I'd like to extend a big thank you to Troy Price for taking the time to talk with me. Like many of the folks that I got interviews with to do an after action review with them this season, he certainly wasn't looking for opportunities to talk about this publicly, but he did it because he thought it could be helpful to folks like you or me. And I just want to say big, big thank you to him. I'd love to hear your takeaways from the conversation too. So please find me on Twitter or Instagram. I'm at Diana Kander on both platforms. And if you want to chat about the episode with our community of professional AF listeners, you can join the Facebook group, Professional AF Podcast Insiders. Thank you for your time today. I am Diana Kander reminding you that curiosity is your superpower. So follow Troy's lead and take a little time today to reflect and get curious about something that you've experienced but haven't really gotten your lessons learned out of it quite yet. I'll talk to you soon. Mm -hmm.